Hello, Michael here with a quick preamble. This one's not about the audio. Yay! Tom and I made a couple errors while we were having this episode, so I just want to jump in. Uh, we said that the name of the company that made the D60 dice was Flying Duck. Not correct. It's Flying Horse Duck. Definitely a little bit different. And then I also found the company that makes the dice that I use. It's called Metallic Dice Games. So that is the company that has the metal dice that I currently am using and really like. So with those two corrections out of the way, on to the show. Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael and I am attempting to stream with Tom a faculty meeting tonight and I'm fingers crossed that uh, my internet speed is going to let us do this. So now we're back to green. So hopefully it will stay that way. Uh, I think I've already shared someone on Twitter. When we bought our house, we went out of our way to ensure that we had access to high-speed internet because my wife works from home. She has to have high-speed internet. We went above and beyond anything to make sure that we could have it and when we got here no the we were misled uh so we are forced to use a rinky dink company that charges us way too much for not great speed so we get around a hundred down which we don't always get there but sometimes we do but we're maxed at seven up like that's the most we can get a seven which is what we stream with stream with more than download it's crazy seven up Seven up. Hey, New York Taters with us. Hello, sir. Nice to have you with us. Uh, so again, all the preamble out of the way, we are going to attempt to record at least one, possibly even two faculty meetings tonight. Uh, we are hoping to get back into doing these regularly, as well as detentions and all these other things. Uh, so before I get too far ahead of myself, Tom, say hello to everyone. Hey, how's it going? It is Tom. It's going great. So, so Tom, we're... Um, you're at this point, you're pretty much the official co-host. Caleb is still on hiatus, though he's been lurking around like like a Jaws shark, just sort of every now and then his fin will pop up and I'll hear a noise and he'll like offer to help here and there. Uh, but as far as I really know, he um, he's still out until further notice. So Tom is my official co-host at this point. Yeah. Tom, hello. Hey, how's it going? If this was an, a, an episode of American Gladiator, I would have definitely not Caleb, uh, Caleb off the call. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> when my big puffy sword is done. <laughs> nice. I'm hearing weird noises. I'm in, I'm in an unfinished basement. There's a sump pump right over there. Um, there might be weird noises. So that's, we'll just see what happens. Well, just do it. Just do it. So here at the faculty meetings, the the um, the point of the faculty meetings is that for my co-host and I, which is Tom, to talk about our experiences in role-playing games. And we hope that somewhere in these conversations, something will come up that will be a nugget that someone in the audience can pull and use for their game at their table. But we understand that the opinions we share, share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But of course, there is one piece of advice that we kind of feel is pretty universal. And Tom, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun... You're doing it right. That is correct, sir. So no matter what game you're playing, which system or edition, what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, as long as you and your players are having a good time, you're playing the game correctly. 
I also want to note that you do a much better job of saying that when you don't have Jake, Troy, and Alex messing up the cadence because you three cannot say, or I should say four, cannot say that together ever. That's the point. (laughs) It highlights how much of a team we are not. (laughs) Fantastic. So this is going to be faculty meeting 133. Die! As in singular of dice. We're going to talk about dice because we thought it'd be great to ease into faculty meetings. It's been a while. We don't want to tackle anything controversial or deep or heavy. And that's why we're going to start by talking about (laughs) some recent negativity about playing D&D. Of course. So, Tom, can you frame for me and for the audience what it is we're talking about, what what we've been seeing on our Twitter feeds that have caused us to think about this? Okay. So, I get to introduce this topic. Okay. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So, a lot of people have been seeing lately. There's definitely, we all know the history of D&D. There's some very problematic elements that are associated with it. All right. So, there's the whole aspect of that we kind of think about there's the colonialism there's the innate racism of some of the stuff that's been baked into the system that we we like so there's this whole idea of how can you love something when it still has these problems and then along that same route there are there's lots of just a lot of negativity towards people who um Maybe not. Maybe no. They don't understand all of the 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 history behind it, and so I think it's very important for us to. We need to show people this, and we need to show people how they can enjoy this hobby. They can be critical of this hobby, and they can find different games to play, or they can play D and D. And they need to do what works best for them within the context of where they are in their gaming experience and because not everybody can jump right into these some of these crazy convoluted games that we like to play D D is just it's so accessible and so i think there's some we, we just it's something that we need to talk about and i think we need to talk about it with a little bit more uh, a, a little bit more fine-tooth comb than a lot of conversations that have been going around all right and i also for me i think there's there's three different ways that i've I've been experiencing some negativity towards D&D. One, exactly as you said, there are some inherent issues with the history of the game, what it grew out of, and it's there. You you can't hide it. I, I, you can deny it, but I, I think that's silly because it's there. But that doesn't mean that the entire game needs to be thrown away. I just think it's something we need to be aware of, work towards a better version. And then within our own individual games, we can play however we want, and I generally exclude most of that stuff. I also see issues where, uh, and this is something we talked about once before, but where somebody wants to play a different type of game like Serenity Firefly or Star Wars or Wild West or um, some sort of weird uh, homebrew version of a game. But rather than seeking out games that are better suited to the type of game they want to play, they want to just take D&D and make it that because D&D is the most popular version of RPGs in the world. I'm sorry, it just is. It's the one most people know when they come into the hobby. It's the one they're usually first exposed to. A lot of people are coming into the hobby now because of things like Critical Role or um, other celebrities, Vin Diesel. And then uh, was it Deborah Ann Wall from Daredevil and True Blood now has her own streaming show, and they're just popping up everywhere. So people are finding out about role-playing games and D&D at the same time. They think they're the one and the same, and they're generally reticent to go beyond D&D because that's what they know and that's what they're looking for. 
And so some people who are more experienced are kind of like, why would you do that? And then the third way that I've been seeing a lot of negativity, at least on my Twitter feed, is that D&D may not be the most robust role-playing game system, the rule system, the mechanics behind it, how it does or does not encourage and facilitate actual role-playing and cooperative storytelling versus some other games that are less well-known, indie games, what have you. And it just seems like it's all sort of coming to a head. I'm just getting, I'm just inundated all the time where I'm just seeing all this stuff. And d and is a game I love and I don't want to feel bad for loving that game. But that doesn't mean I can't acknowledge that there are some things that we can talk about. Yeah, I think we, yeah, I, I definitely think this is something that a conversation just needs to be had, especially with, there are so many new people coming into the hobby right now. And the last thing that we want to do is to show them a, base of the community that is not i mean it doesn't espouse to what the rpg academy stands for which is what we said earlier if you're having fun you're doing it right there's a million different ways to to be in this hobby so i think it's just something we need to i think we need to talk about and i think and just be aware of it um because one of the things i've talked about before is i've i've experienced this hobby coming into it um as a veteran and I try to see it through the eyes of, of a new player. If I was the this, if this was the first experience I ever had, would I want to come back? And some of these things I think can be negative to that new player who just wants to play the game they saw on stream last night. They just want to roll D twenty and slay a dragon or something, and then they're getting you know quote unquote assaulted from all sides from people who are then saying, you know the the people who should be welcoming them into the hobby are kind of talking about how this isn't a great game and they should play something else, but that's what they wanted to play. So I just think there's a lot of opinions and perceptions that are all valid, but we should be careful of any one overriding any other. And I do want to say very quickly that Tom and I both understand that we are coming to this from a place of privilege. We're both white males. We're both straight. As far as I know, we're both married, got kids, not that that means anything in particular, but as far as I know, we are the most protected class in our country so that may be why it doesn't seem like in some ways it's such a, an egregious thing and we can work around it and we can ignore the parts we want to ignore and we can just not play the parts that we don't want to play in our games. That certainly could be why I want to acknowledge that we understand at the top of the show. This is absolutely true because, I mean, we're not – like we've already said, there's some built-in racism that we've kind of talked about um, or mentioned, and we're not the ones who are being attacked by that. Like. So I, I yeah. definitely think it's, it's it's a valid, and I think that definitely needs to be, yeah, brought up. All right. So which of those three do you want to touch on first? You go first. <laughs> okay. So we'll, just to just to recap, just because you 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 dumped a lot on me. Recap. Yeah. What are these three things? So there's the inherent problematic pieces and parts of D&D, and maybe in some ways the greater hobby, but let's talk about D&D specifically, such as the colonialism between, you know, part of the job is to go out, kill things, take their stuff, and then go do it again. And then there's some inherent racism in that the darker-skinned foes are generally the evil. Uh, the ignorant savages like orcs are generally the evil things that you can kill without remorse. And there's some easily translatable real-world um, analogies that you can make of who those creatures might represent in our world that is problematic if you look at it for even a second through a lens of what could this be? That's one. 
Secondly is people who do not want to explore other games beyond D&D, even if they are looking for an experience that D&D doesn't exactly do well. They're reticent to look at other games because in their mind, maybe D&D is role-playing games and there's really, they're confused that what well, you're talking about, like, I want to play D&D. I just want to be Mal from Firefly when I do it. And then there's the D&D isn't actually a very good role-playing game. There are other games that are so much better, these indie games that uh, provide different, better experiences than what D&D purports to do, which is facilitate cooperative storytelling. So those are the three things that I have been seeing on my Twitter feed and in the Twitter sphere. I think it's necessary for me to take number two then, because this okay. is one that I personally have had to check myself on. Because okay. I am... I, I have been very open with people on our Discord and then some private chats and then even on Twitter itself where I am not a fan of reskinning D&D. And so when I see someone who was, it's, oh yeah, I'm going to play the, the, good, the example that has been going around a lot. I'm going to play John Wick. But D and D, my inherent, my gut level reaction is like, no. Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever like defile John Wick by shoving it into the box that is D and D? Play Wushu, and it's just like, and but the thing I have to remember is that a lot of people they like D and D. Okay. The other thing that is I think we have to talk about is there is an incredible time investment with learning a new system that a lot of people just, they don't want to do. To them, mm -hmm. that is not fun. To a lot of people like us, we love reading new rules. We love playing new games. A lot of people, they just don't have the time for that. They want to play what they know. So if you can kind of take something and then make it D&D, &D, that works great for them. Because who hasn't like played a video game and then all of a sudden you want to like when our new skin for the, the character that you're playing comes out, you want to play, it's the exact same game, but it's a different skin and you get something new out of it. So there is, there is that element. Okay, of it. So I have a couple things to jump in there. Uh, one, the video game analogy just irks me a little bit because I am that, that person that, for example, Marvel's ultimate Alliance. I loved that game when it first came out. It was one of my favorite button mashers, you know, beat 'em ups. It's not a great game, but I had a lot of fun playing it. It's cooperative. It's superheroes, which I love. I played through the first one multiple times, different character configurations. When the second one came out, I was so super excited. And they made a few small tweaks, and most people would probably say improvements. I did not like that game nearly as much. I just wanted more of what I already had. Just take those same characters, maybe add some new costumes or skins, give me a new mission. That's all I wanted. But when they added in different button combinations and just the way the game worked, it didn't feel right to me. And I, I can understand that from a D&D &D standpoint that, okay, maybe this other game is better for that, but it's not what I want. I want D&D, &D, so no. Uh, the other thing is I mentioned to you before, and I think I've mentioned on here, as a, someone who has done this before, I find fun out of doing that. Like part of the reason I'm a DM is I like doing that sort of thing. So there's there's an inherent part of the process of me taking D&D &D and trying to turn it into Firefly that will be fun for me to do. And if you're trying to tell me not to do that, you're taking away some of my fun. Now we can we can talk about 
who's fun, like if it's more fun for me to do that than it is the players who actually play it when I do it versus them playing a game that's better suited. Absolutely, that's subjective and we can talk about that in depth, but we won't, but we can. But there's a lot of people, I said there's some people that want to do that work because it's fun. And when someone comes at them and says, don't do that, dummy, that's going to make them defensive because you're telling them not to do what they want to do. Yeah. And then the third thing, I'll t- and then I'll turn it back over to you, is even if I am the type of person who is willing to learn a new game, my players may not be. So not only do you have to get one person convinced that, hey, this other game is actually better for what you want to do, you need to spend time learning that game, buying that game, you know, understand how to run it. Then you have to convince your players who all might be like, no, I just want to play D&D. I don't, you know, we'll play it as John Wick, but I don't want to learn how to play Savage Worlds or I don't want to learn how to play Wushu. So it's not like you just have to convince one person. You have to convince an entire group of people, which is difficult to do. Yeah, I think that what we recognize is that there may be a rule system where you may be able to get a better experience. So it's all about the game mechanics should influence the experience that you're trying to have at the table. So we are, are kind of, we're, we're, oh my, we're, we're so, when we, when we go to somebody and when somebody says, yeah, you know what? I want to play Star Wars and D&D. And we're like, no, there is an actual Star Wars game. You should play that instead. That we are so bougie when we do that. It's not even funny. So I think there needs to be a how we approach that because I do think it's important when somebody says, hey, I want to play Star Wars and D&D. I think there is a way to approach that as, hey, there's a Star Wars game. Maybe give this a try. But I definitely think we need to not be super reactionary and tell people that they're doing it wrong. And this is probably the part that got me the most heated. Again, coming to it from a place of privilege this is what bothered me. And, I, and I've shared this with you before, so I apologize. You have to go through this metaphor again. That's okay. But let's say that, Tom, you are a restauranteur. You love food. You love fine dining. And I know this about you. We've had multiple conversations where you've talked about the different restaurants that you go to. And, you know, you can oh, order wine yes. and you can pair it with, you know, the different meals. I'm such a fancy boy. And I'm generally someone who goes to McDonald's for lunch because it's quick and easy and it's cheap. But I know that you like fine food. So I decide, you know what, Tom? I think I want to go out for a nice dinner. Maybe it's a wife and I celebration, an anniversary. Maybe it's uh, a catacomb being successful. Maybe it's a game, you know, a RPG that we released, whatever. Something I want to celebrate. So I come to you and I offer, or I, I ask you for suggestions. You, being a good friend and a good restauranteur, will ask me questions about, like, what do you kind of, like, when you do go out, what do you usually order? How do you like your food? What, you know, do you like steak or you like chicken or seafood, whatever? You're going to ask me a bunch of questions, get an idea for what you think I would enjoy, and you're going to make recommendations. That makes you a good friend and a good resource and someone that I will probably come back to for future suggestions, even if what we go to the first time isn't what I like. Maybe you suggest something, I go there, I didn't care for it. But fine. But if I'm just eating my McDonald's and I'm in the break room and I got a whole bunch of other people and half of us are eating fast food and Tom just walks into the room and says, hey, morons, why are you eating that food? It's garbage. If you were smarter, if you knew anything about food, you would never touch that. You're probably right. I shouldn't eat McDonald's, but I'm going to get really mad at you. I'm going to get very defensive. And you're a jerk in that point because I didn't ask you for help. I didn't want your opinion. You just came into my space and yelled at me and insulted my choices. And I see this happen a lot 
with D&D on Twitter where someone will just shout into the universe on Twitter, hey, D&D is not a good game. If you knew anything about games, if you knew more about these indie games, you would never play D&D. The only people who play D&D are people who've never played other games. Basically, they're ignorant. And then they're surprised, shocked when people get defensive and come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, shut it, jerk. Yeah, don't be surprised if you act like a jerk that people treat you like a jerk. And trust me, you are being a jerk if you just shout at people who love a thing that they're dumb for loving it. There is a way to present that message that will actually instigate change and make someone go, oh, you know, I really shouldn't eat McDonald's. It's not good for me, but I'm still going to eat it sometimes because it's cheap and it's affordable and it's, you know, it's, it's easy to get to. But maybe I'll have a salad, which is, you know, wushu or it's Star Wars or something. And you can slowly affect change and get what you want. I feel like people are wanting a reaction, but then when they get a negative one, they, they feel like, they're being attacked. Well, you kicked me in the teeth first. Yeah. Don't don't be surprised when I react strongly against you. I don't know. That that just it drives me crazy when I see that. I see it a lot, unfortunately, where people who are like, you know, these games, indie games are so much better. Maybe they are. Probably they are. But you're not going to convince me the way you're giving me the message. If you really want me to try these games, you need to change your approach or at least don't feign this indignity when I go, hey, I don't care what you have to say. Please be quiet. Okay, I'm going to step off of the dead horse onto a soapbox and then off of that soapbox onto the ground and give Tom a chance to respond. You know, I think it's I think it's incredibly important what you said. I think we need to just communicate with people because honestly, I want fewer people playing D&D. Okay, I do. All right. I want people playing other games. I love trying new games. That's one you know. So we do our one shots over at a local game store. And one of the things that I highly encourage DMs to do, I tell them, hey, run whatever you want to run and what you love. Hey, but it's also cool if you want to try out something weird or something new, because I want more players and more people to experience newer games. But I think it's just how you approach approach it and i always make sure that on these events we do offer D because there's people who love it but something cool that has happened this last month we finally you know reaped the fruits of our we reaped our rewards because this past one shot night and we had an incredibly difficult time filling up the Dungeons and Dragons table because we had all these regular D D players coming in and after just kind of months of just kind of talking with them and they there a bunch of them just said hey i want to try out some new games so we had these D players diehards playing masks we had them playing um a bunch of one of one page rpgs and the D table could only get three players and on one hand i was like yeah but now obviously i was i felt bad for my D dm but right. anyway it was the whole idea of we have slowly kind of just told them like hey these are the kind of experiences that you can have when you don't play D&D and I think that really hooked people and so it was something that I was I, we really just have to be if you want people to play your game you just it's just I'm sorry but we live in the D&D world it's right I think that's a beautiful way to get that message across you when people show up at the Woodburn games for the one shots and they say, Hey, can I play D D? You don't go, Oh no, we don't play D D here, you moron. You're like, Of course, we, we're always gonna have D D here, but we have these other things you might want to consider. 
and you're you're exposing them to things. And and I, again, I love D and D. It's still my favorite game. I know it's not the best game, but it's still my favorite. I love to play it. But I've been to Woodburn Games. I've ran game there, games there, and I've played games there. And I can tell you, there's plenty of times when I'm running a D and D game, and we're we're doing our thing. We're all having a good time, and I hear people just cackling with laughter at the roll for shoes table or and players notice that they're like they do why why aren't we doing that so maybe next time they're the ones who sign up for the rolls for shoe table or whatever i think that's an amazing way to to try to spread the gospel of other games mm-hmm. without just pissing people off and making them get their hackles up where they're going to be even harder to convince later i yeah. think you're hurting your own you know, supposed mission by the way you're doing it. And just, again, it just drives me crazy. Yeah. The one thing I, oh, so now I want to go back to this first item too, because I don't want to skip this. The problematic elements of D and D because it's, it's definitely there. And the thing that I think is so important is that I don't think you can deny it. So it's okay to play the game, but I think you have to recognize the history of the game and also the the elements of the games that that just they're not right all right so like it or not when you're playing D&D there is the whole design process is around the whole idea of it's eurocentric in the first place and then the whole idea of you'll go out and you'll attack people and you'll take their stuff and you'll rinse wash and repeat so i think that you have to just recognize that hey this is problematic and i think that there's ways in our games to make it less problematic but i think the problem with all of this comes down to when people deny it so no it's that's not D. it's what are you talking about that's it's so the thing is i think what's so important is that we've got to educate people people have to people have to know about it and they have to recognize it but we can't just if our, I think our gut level instinct when somebody says, no, that's not D&D, is to just, what do you mean? That's not, yes, it is. But I think instead we have to just show them, hey, this is how it, this is how it is, because they may not know. And so then what we do is not necessarily that these people who are denying this are, are right, but then what they, they're never going to listen to us. It's just, right. Exactly. So we just we push them off further, and they may be even more of a jerk for deciding to ignore us, but yep. it, we, we want to we, you need to sh- you need to show them, and I think that and I do want to recognize that I do see that um, obviously Wizards of the Coast is starting to they're 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 making changes and starting to go in the right direction. I definitely want to um, throw out there James J Hayek just wrote a incredible article on D and D Beyond about removing the racial benefits from D and D classes. So, and, and I want to be clear. I don't know personally any of the people who work for Wizards of the Coast. Uh, I guess uh, James from James Intercast is probably the one I know the best, and he's just someone I podcast with occasionally who's now a writer on some of the projects. So that's the closest connection I have to anybody. And it's entirely possible, probable even, that a lot of these moves in what we call the right direction are simply based on the fact that they see the consumer base and they're just trying to make more money. I don't know. I don't know that their motivations are pure, but that doesn't negate the fact that they're still moving in what I would consider the right direction, getting more diverse creators behind the screen and the writers and trying to change up the way the adventures are written so that we sort of move away from those types of things. hundred percent agree that we're moving in the right direction. It's probably not as fast as it should, but I want to recognize that we are 
but I'm not going to say that they're altruistic. But even if they're not, it still doesn't matter. If they're, if they're going, doing the right thing for the wrong reason, in some ways, it's still the right thing to do. I don't know. Maybe, again, that, that's my, my privilege. No, I think that's an important thing to point out is that we, a lot of times we forget that Wizards of the Coast, at the end of the day, they are owned by Hasbro, which is a massive multi-million, probably billion dollar company. And they are, end of the day, they are trying to make money. So I don't, I think a lot of times we forget that. And we think, because Wizards of the Coast, they have such a, it, it's it's such a small industry. And if they're responding to people on Twitter, so it's like, oh, okay, this is a little tiny yeah. mom and pop company. They are not. No. Okay. So I think that's definitely something to to recognize as well. I mean, because I, I mean, I went on my whole, um, I, I, like I said, I gotta check myself. I went on my whole Twitter rampage when they only released the essentials kit to Target instead of local game stores. So there's some things that we have to, we've got to make sure we we don't forget that at the end of the day, Wizards of the Coast they're trying to they're trying to make money. So and then sort of the last thing that I will talk about because I do want to move on to some other lighter topics is there are still some inherently good things about D&D as well. And there's some baked in lore that people like, and it's okay that people like those things. Uh, And I'm going to try to be very vague here, but there's a game that a lot of people I know are talking about. And, you know, they've talked about how, how it's a great game for a specific type of experience. And it's a type of experience that I have tried to emulate in D&D. So I bought the, the, the game. And I do really like the mechanics, but I hate the lore. I think the lore is frankly dumb. And if I play that game, I will never play it in the setting that comes with the the game. I will D&Dify it because I will use their mechanics, but it's going to be in a more traditional heroic fantasy world. Because I just was like, no, there's nothing to me interesting at all about the lore, quote unquote, that this game is built around. And I just think, like, I role play very heavily most of the time. I don't follow all the rules for D&D. But when it comes time to roll a dice, I want it to be a D20. I want a 20 to be a crit. I I want that experience because I think rolling 2D6 is not fun. I'm sorry, PBTA Games. 2D6 is a terrible design. Whoever came up with it should have done 2D12 because it's so much better. But that's dumb, but it's it's my belief. And... It's just uh, that's the way I feel. So understand that there are some things about D and D that people just want to experience, even if it's not "quote unquote" as good as others. And it's okay for them to want bad things. Just like people like McDonald's. McDonald's is one of the most you know successful companies in the world, and they serve mostly bad food for you, but people love it. And that's just you just have to understand that. Just deal with it and move on. Oh yes, so true. I'm over here listening to you say that, and I'm like, yeah. And then I'm I'm the one who plays games with playing cards and rocks or whatnot. I'll I'll play those too, but I do like in the day rolling twenty. Yeah, there but you go. But speaking of rolling d twenties, let's move on to our other topic, and that is dice. We thought this would be a fun topic, so let's get into that one. Okay. So Tom, what was the first set of dice? That you ever got, whether oh. it's for D and D or oh, another game. Okay, this is my very first set of dice. Was the dice that were included in the Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition starter set? What? Because that is that is the very first RPG product I ever bought. It is wow. true. Like I said, I am an RPG baby. I came at the. I was just you know I was buying comic books at my comic book store, and the guy behind the counter is like, "Hey, um, 
try this. It's 20 bucks. You may like it. <laughs> and so I did. And <laughs> here we are. <laughs> and, and again, that person was probably not being altruistic. They were trying to make a sale. They were trying they to were make a, a sale. Yes. Yeah. So that is a, that's the first set of dice I had. They are a terrible set of blue color dice. And they they are nothing special. It only included one D6. And that was end of the day. That That was my first set. I still use that set. Again, you say my follow-up is, do you still have that set? I, I still because use that yours set. was so new. Uh, so for me, my first set was the dice that were included in the red box, the Mensa red box that I bought back at some point in the eighties. Uh, with the, I've told the story many times with my best friend Brandon. Uh, I have no idea where those dice are. I'm sure they're gone. I, I, it's possible Brandon has them, or maybe even Bill and Joe, who were the other people we played with. Uh, but I'm going to guess those are just lost to the... Oh, my word. I'm just envisioning uh, young Michael playing games down in Paducah, Kentucky, or whatever you're from. <laughs> you're like, you're like, come on, Bill, Jimmy, let's go play some D&D. Yeah, that's... Kind of how I mean, basically Stranger Things. I was the one who was just like, "Can we just play D and D?" Like, oh, I just, so I just want to play D and D. We did get a little because I was also into martial arts. Like, we were all four of us uh, were into a martial arts club. We all we loved like ninja movies, and we we had bought tapes on like how to throw throwing stars around corners, and uh, we nice. we we built uh, ninja toe out of tobacco sticks. I still oh, have mine. It's like tobacco. thirty years old, and we would actually like have fights with them. Uh, yeah, but oh my gosh, it's too. Good. I, I think I think a lot of people did that at our age at that time. But yeah, I I loved playing D anD D. It was it was the greatest you know bonding experience for a very very long time. Okay, so what is your most recent set? Which die okay. have die or dice have you bought most recently? Most recently, it was the dice that were included in the D anD D essentials box. Yeah. No, and this is a good point because they are much better dice. Yeah. What they did was they actually included two D twenties. All right, because there's a whole rule about rolling two D twenties, and like, hey, probably yeah. we should probably include a second one. Then they included, I think it's like four D sixes, and then I think one of everything else, and. They're a really nice set, easy to read. I feel like they're a little bit higher quality than the original starter set. So, yeah, I was like, hey, way to upgrade. So that was my latest set. So the the latest set I I have is I bought the Avernus Descent into Baldur's, or Baldur's, Baldur's Gate Descent to Avernus dice set uh, to review them. Mm-hmm. Part of our review, which I didn't do when we did the review, so I'll get around to that at some point in time. They they're still unopened. I don't know. I I may just give them away at a catacon. I've uh, heard but, good things about a catacon. No, uh, well that too, but about the dice. <laughs> yeah, uh, they do they do look pretty, but uh, probably the most recent real uh, dice that I I have, and these were also no, that's not true. I did get a set given to us for a catacon, but I did buy my own. Was those uh, flying duck? giant d60 dice hey those I, have, are the last I have i have some of those too yeah i actually i have i have mine right here uh they did not sponsor this episode but i'm gonna give them some free advertising oh you hear that uh, zipper too of the, the the case like the case is solid uh so this was the the full set so all of these are 60 sided die and they just have like the d4s is on there like what is oh. it eight times or whatever yeah. And then the, obviously the D10 goes six, six times. times. Uh, the D8 is the only one that doesn't uh, roll into 60s perfectly. Uh, so there's two re-roll 
sides on the d8s if you roll them you have to re-roll on two out of 60 sides um they're super cool not super practical i would yeah i've never actually used them at a game i'm gonna bring those to a catacon and just roll up to the table and drop them down and just like it would it's gonna be the the hardest flex ever on these people just be like hey look at these so yeah so i've got my copy i have my set too and it's one of those things where these are my dice that i like to show people and i've memorized flying ducks spiel i'm like look at these dice each one is manufactured from a single billet of aircraft grade aluminum and laser etched and then hard adenized so they're perfectly balanced and then people are like whoa those are really cool and i'm like yeah, they are. And then I go grab my then I go grab my the dice I use the most as a transition. I use a set of plain white polyhedral dice. <laughs> That's literally I use plain white dice. I love them because it's like you show up to there's nothing better than showing up to the table and everybody's got these super fancy dice. And you're like, yeah, I play D and D too. And then you just have like these super simple <laughs> dice, you know. So the the dice that I use most often, they are a metal set. Um I'm having a hard time remembering the name, and I, I should have looked that up. Uh, I do. I love Easy Roller Dice. They're they're friends of ours. They support us a lot. But this set, they're actually a little little larger. So if you, I don't know the millimeters, but they're like one size larger on each die. And I just I like the heft of them. Mm-hmm. God, I cannot. It's something metal, something. But I love those metal dice. Those are the ones that I use when I'm actually playing ninety nine percent of the time. So what's funny is I actually don't really buy dice. So I just somehow I I think it's I just accumulate dice. I don't know how. I just always have more and more sets of dice. Other than the 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 sets that were like the D and D starter set, the essentials kit, the the only other set that I really bought was probably the most special set. All right, this is Tom who's going to get sentimental, okay? Because it is the set of dice that I got my daughter when she turned four because she always hangs out with us when we're playing games and she i told her when she was turned four i would get her her own set and then she could play D and we have played a few we've played some games we gotta we're, we're gonna play through the essentials kit we've already made her character and everything and so i bought her we I, we were looking through the um crack and dice and we're looking and she saw this set of pink dice and that's what she wanted and so that's what i got her and she loves them and i've got the i've got the video up on my twitter it's actually my pinned tweet because it's the one that's got like a billion retweets yeah i would say i saw that when you put yeah. it on there which it was very very cute yes um so i bought both of my boys a set uh actually but when they were super little i think maybe jacob might, might not have even been born there was a kickstarter i think i'm right i may i may be wrong but they were very young. I got them like a squishy set of polyhedral. So it's like the oh, nice. foams. So we play with them a lot. We, you can throw them at each other. And, they're, you know, we, we used to play. Um, we would just see who could roll the highest. Like we'd throw them across the room. And then they'd run over and look and say, I got a 12. And then they'd roll it, that kind of thing. Uh, but, but when we started playing actual D&D, the Wizard Brothers game, as they still call it, because they both played Wizard Brothers, I bought them both each their own set. I for a while every convention that I went to I would buy a set of dice that I would use for that convention uh that got expensive and then once I started getting into metal dice couldn't do that anymore I found a, I found a set that I just I kept with me so other than those flying duck dice and the ones I bought for my kids I have not bought dice in a very long time 
I used to have a metric crap ton of dice that I've just collected over many years, and I would call them scrub dice. They were like mismatches or just didn't like the color, didn't like something about them. Because at this point, again, I'm, I'm older now. The thing that I look for most on dice are the clarity. I need to be able to read them. And it, it does bug me a little bit oh, when same. I'm at conventions and someone rolls it and they're like, uh, it's a 17. Like they have to, and I'm not talking about somebody with bad eyes. I'm just saying that they have these like really intricate swirly patterns and it's just hard to read. It drives me crazy. So I want to die that I can read across the room. So that's what I look for most of all. But I had just so many dice. And um, I think it was last year at a catacomb, we had put together our GM kit. or our, our, It was called our emergency GM kit. And it was just like a little section that had pencils, pens, paper, graph paper, note cards, just different things. If you were running a game, you might have forgotten or needed. And I also put a big bucket of dice from all these crap crap dice I had in my mind the goal was if you needed dice for a game you could use them and you would return them by the end of the catacomb that bucket was empty so I, I got rid of all of my old crappy dice I now have like probably a third of the oh. dice that I had but again I got rid of the ones I didn't really care about so I don't I don't care but it was just funny to me I I, I need to realize um, signage is very important. People do not always realize what I, cause there was actually other people like there was like pencil sharpeners. Um, and I, this, this guy came in, he was, I think married to or dating one of the workers that worked there and they had a young son and they were taking like paper and pencil sharpeners for their kid. Didn't say a word. I was happy for the little kid to have them, but clearly that's not what they were intended for, but they just saw these laid out like, you know, I guess they're free. And so they were loading up on school supplies. Yep. So, yeah. So, pro tip for if you ever see any of Michael's dice sitting on a table at a convention, just take them. Just take them. <laughs> <Just take No. laughs> <laughs> uh, so, one of our last questions was uh, how many sets do you have? I, I, again, at this point, I probably still have, I'm going to say somewhere between 20 and 30 sets of various dice. I have maybe three or four sets I generally use. So how many sets of dice do you think you have? Okay. And this was after getting rid of two-thirds of them. Sets of dice that I have, I have probably have five or six. So not that many, but then I do have a massive bag of D20s. So because one of the things that I do at whenever I play D&D, &D, and a lot of people know this, is I put like a grandma's candy jar in the middle of the table and fill it up with D20s. And that's to that's inspiration die in there. So every that visual representation there is people know like whenever you do inspir when you ever do something cool, I just tell people I put a little sign there, take a candy. And so people will take one and then so they'll use it. So it's just kind of so people see I like to have a ton of D twenties. All right. So anything else about dice that you want to talk about before we wrap this up? No. Um check out if you wanna hey, you want some nightmare fuel, go Google food dice, okay? And just I don't know, Michael, if you've seen all the food dice lately, look it up after this and you'll maybe throw up a little bit in your mouth, but it's all cool. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's the latest right. thing. Invest now. All right. Anyway, all right. next topic. All right. So the next thing we want to talk about is something we, we used to do a lot. We kind of go away from it. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, is We call it new student introductions. And this is where we would take from fifth edition D&D, &D, uh, one of the various classes and then one of the various backgrounds, and then kind of marry them up and see if we can come up with some interesting motivations, characters from that. Uh, I randomly checked my chart today, and I came up with the Barbarian Spy. Yep. Seems sort of counterintuitive. 
Oh, but I have an idea already as soon as oh, I saw that. Perfect. Lay it on me. We okay. got a barbarian spy. Who is this person? So, uh, like, I saw this and it was immediate. This barbarian spy is Henry Cavill. So, if you all have seen The Man from Uncle and then also Mission Impossible Fallout, he literally plays a spy who just punches people. <laughs> and it is, it's literally, it is Henry Cavill. And I, so I think it's possible to have that, the brute force spy. That's it, you know? Uh, there's the famous, you know, the gif of him, like, cocking, Co- his, cocking, his, cocking his fists. And that yeah. is the, that's that's the barbarian spy. And I think the way that you play the barbarian spy is you are a spy who's a barbarian. Everybody knows that you're a spy because you're a barbarian. And it's just kind of <laughs> like, that's how you have to, that's how you have to play it, you know? You're a spy. It doesn't matter. doesn't mean that you're going to be a great spy. So you're Hey, guess what? They catch you half the time. But good thing, <laughs> guess what? You're also a barbarian. And so you can deal with that. So that's my barbarian spy. It's Henry Cavill. You get caught and you punch him. All right. Very cool. So the thing that I came up with, and I don't know this is a great example. And this is, again, we always talk about this whenever we do this. There's always the easiest option because your background is what you were before you became an adventurer. So you were a spy. Now you're a barbarian. That one doesn't work as well. But what I'm thinking of is that sort of classic, you're almost like invisible, you know, like, you know, people speak openly, like the nobles speak openly um, in front of the page boy who maybe they don't think can actually read or write. So potentially you are that barbarian who's there maybe as like a bodyguard or you're just hired muscle, but you're actually very intelligent, but you're smart enough to hide that. And people just talk in front of you because they underestimate you other than being like a big, dopey, strong person. And so you're able to hear and have access to places and things because no one thinks of you as smart enough to use that information. That's that's okay. Absolutely. You'd be pretty good. All right. Can you think of any others? Because I usually like to try to do more than one, but... No, I'm super happy with mine, too, because also Henry Cavill has a mustache. And so, like, <laughs> every good every good spy has a mustache. Like, that's just... Or, you know, you can just play the stereotypical KJB officer and just be like... Because to me, all KGB are just, just a bunch of barbarians. Okay. So. I held a hot rock. The only thing else I could think of... Oh, there's a cat in your video, and I, I just lost my mind, man. I, I needed to see a cat. Like, that just lifts my spirits. See, I just sent a message to the wife. I'm like, why is the cat down here? Because she shouldn't be. Like, she shouldn't be able <laughs> oh. to get down here. So I'm thinking maybe there's a door open that I didn't know about, which is fine. I'm not mad. I was just like, it's confusing. So the only other thing, I guess, is you could have... Uh, maybe, maybe you have that situation where you are the exile from your barbarian clan, but you so you go out into the wilderness and you are adopted by another, you know, group, another tribe, another culture, um, and you're just whether you mean to or not. At some point in time, you want to go back to where you're from, but you have all this new information you're looking for. I don't know. That one's kind of weak, but I don't know. Uh, but as always, we'll throw it out to the audience. Anyone who's watching now or listening in the future if you have a good concept for a barbarian spy character let us know uh, hit us up on twitter facebook or comment on this episode either on the youtube page or on the podcast yeah and so the last thing we're going to do is it's a new 
segment we want to start doing all the time is a question from our patrons. Uh, so there is a Patreon for the RPG Academy because we're a podcast and everyone has to have one these days. Uh, the uh, patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. You can support what we do here. Keep us up and running. We felt, kind of fell off the bonus podcast a bit, but I've been doing videos recently and I plan on doing some more bonus pods. And I think Tom's going to do some as well. Uh, another thing that we're going to start doing, excuse me, are some patron only giveaways, starting with Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. So we bought a copy to do the review and we are going to give this away to one of our patrons. So if if anyone who is a patron as of November 1st, so basically when the money comes out, so if you get charged at least once, if you join now, uh, anyone who's a patron as of November 1st will be entered in. We'll just do a random draw and you will win this book and I will either mail it to you or if you're one of our patrons coming to a catacon, I'll hand it to you and save me shipping. But the question comes to us from Big Al. Big Al is a fairly long-term at this point patron, also one of our highest tier patrons. And Big Al asked, what's your best advice to try and keep a group together? So Big Al's been having trouble with groups falling apart. Uh, Go ahead, Tom. Any thoughts on that? Okay, so here's the thing. So, like I said, I started running D&D back in when I got the starter set. So it's like five or six years ago at this point. And I have been playing with a pretty consistent group since then. Here's the trick. You make them feel disposable. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. You're not, you're not uh, promoting negging here, are you? No, no, no. D&D no. group so, negging? So I think what's, so no. So what's super important is you have the set schedule. Okay. So it's every, for us, it's every other week. Everybody knows you play every other week. And what you do is if a bunch of people cancel, it doesn't matter. You still do something. So whoever can come, you play a board game. You play a different system. And so I think just once people, I think it takes some time. But once people get into the mindset like and prioritize it, once people realize like every two weeks I'm playing D&D, that's, that's what we're doing. Um, you have to just basically, it's really, it's consistency. That's how I've been able to keep my group together. The other thing is I actually only have one player who's been in it from the very beginning. All right. So, but the thing is I, throughout these six years, players have came and gone and we've kind of probably, it's been probably been about the same eight or nine people that have been in my games. And so they, they come and go. But it's always, we usually run about five, I run five people at my table, and it's just kind of intermixed, but, and also then the other thing is luck, all right? <laughs> so there's that too. It's definitely hard. I mean, especially with, especially with, I, I mean, I travel a ton for work, and then a lot of people who are in my game travel a ton for work too. So, but we've been able to manage uh, I think it's really, it's getting your players to prioritize it. Well, I struggle with the same thing. So all I can really say is I wish I knew. Uh, but the advice I would give is mirrors yours that you want to try to do something, even if someone cancels. Um, and that's what we've been running into with most of our actual plays and other things. I just, uh, everyone that's in my group are adults. They have professional career lives. They have families and things just, one of them keeps, you know, this person can't make it or this person can't make it. And when you just cancel because someone can't make it, it's just easier for that to die. You, you want to keep people coming and doing something every time. I also think it's, uh, might be a benefit that you do play every other week. Yeah. So you're really only looking at two sessions a month versus a group that meets every week. It kind of feels like it's easier to cancel. It's like, well, you know, we got three more this month or we can have four more this month if it's a five month week. 
or month, whatever. Oh, five, yeah. Um, sometimes there's like a like a Tuesday. There'll be five of them in a month. That kind of thing. But anyway, um, I yeah. think if you play every week, it's easier to cancel. But it's, it might be once you're into the routine, it might be easier to stay because you just know every Tuesday mm-hmm. this is what I'm doing. Versus, well, wait, this Tuesday I can do a thing. Next Tuesday, so I, I guess it's the groups uh, determine which is better for them. Yeah, it's just what we found is every other week is just kind of fits better with our schedule. We also only play for three hours. So the other thing is it's a very it's a very small commitment, and we it's not just gaming for us. It's we hang out, we share different, we share beer. Um, we do my my wife who's an absolutely fantastic cook she's professionally trained i am blessed and she she loves to try out new recipes and stuff for our our D night she uses us as her uh the the experiment the experiment stuff so like gotcha. stuff she wants to actually make for other people <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of um so it's kind of it's not just playing the game it's we're we're hanging out um we're just enjoying each other's company it's more of a it's more of a we make it an event that's kind of what we do the other one thing is that um, the other thing, all of my players know that if they miss a game, that does not mean I'm canceling the game. So we will only cancel. I will run this game with two players. If I have two players, we will run this game. And so everybody knows, like, if they cancel, they're going to miss stuff. And so mm-hmm. that, that's the other thing to do the game. All right. Well, thank you, Tom, for joining me. Thank you so much, Big Al, for one, being a patron of ours and a supporter. Um, he was also in the chat for a little bit. Uh, he might still be there. And then uh, thank you for the question. We really appreciate that. So I think we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, so, Todd, before we sign off, where can people find more of your work on the Internet if they want to get a hold of you or chat with you? Uh, so the easiest place to do is on Twitter. So at Bezcar Tom, like the Star Wars medal. I Did you free sign up for Disney Plus? Oh, I did. Absolutely. Yeah, me, me Mandalorian too. To day one. I took the day off of work. Like, I'm oh. going to watch that. So. So it's the day after Catacon. So it's yep. what's the Tuesday? The so, Tuesday after the, the 11th, Tuesday. Yeah. So yeah, I took some or twelve. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I took some time off work for this, and I'm looking forward to it. I took off the day for Endgame because I actually watched that with you the second yes, time. That's it. it. That was yeah, very cool. But, but now that I'm a stay-at-home dad, I don't have to take a day off. I'll just watch it when it comes on. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but you can find me everywhere at the RPG Academy. Again, Facebook, Twitter, the podcast, uh, and then obviously Patreon if you want to support us there. And again, Acaticon is now, from this point, four weeks away. I don't know when this episode will drop audio only, uh, but it's coming up soon. And super excited. Uh, things seem to be going well. The new uh, website, definitely better than the ones we've used in the past, but there's still also a lot of work. Um, so that's why I'm going uh, grayer every single time I'm on here. It's more and more gray. But with that, we'll do the awkward wave out and tell everybody, remember, if you're having fun, you're doing you're it do- right. You're doing it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize. But there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. 
or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.